even in the simple moments of everyday life. A lot can be going on that we don't ever notice. But if we'll take the time, the everyday becomes extraordinary as we lean in and look closer. Hello, church family. It is good to see you. Good morning. Are we awake? We should be. It's 11-something. All right. Uh, I want to welcome all of you. It is Labor Day weekend, so wherever you might be joining us from, in the room or somewhere on the other side of that camera, welcome. I'm excited to share some time with you this morning. I see a few familiar faces around, and others may not know anything about me besides that I pop up here on the platform sometimes. But those who know me well will tell you I love getting to know people. It is my jam. I am a classic extrovert. I am a dyed-in-the-wool type 2 Enneagram, which means I'm a helper relator. And on top of it, I have a pastoral gifting. So can you imagine what I bring to the room in like get-togethers and parties? It's why my introverted husband has a signal for me. Hand on the shoulder means diving too deep too fast. You're freaking people out. Pull up, pull up. Oh, right, chit-chat. Okay, I can do this. But I'll admit, one of my favorite things to ask people that I'm getting to know is tell me your God story. What I'm asking is, tell me the story of your relationship with Jesus. Tell me, how did you guys meet? How long have you been close? What's your favorite memory of Jesus that means the most to you? What are you and him up to lately? It's maybe the same sorts of questions I might ask about your spouse. But sometimes when I ask someone's God story, I get back something entirely different. Sometimes what I get back sounds more like a church story. It goes like this. I grew up going to blah, blah, blah church, and then, you know, teenage, high school, college even, I wasn't really into that. And then once I got married, we started going to something other church, and then we decided to come to Christ the King for reasons X, Y, and Z. And I wonder, do they even realize that their religious background is not at all the same thing as their relationship with Jesus? Have they really spent all this time in church so near to him but not with him? makes me sad. And other times I ask for a God story and what I get back sounds more like a doctrinal statement. These are all the things I believe and these are my well-crafted theological positions on several important topics. And so I press in, hoping they've just misunderstood my question. And it hurts my heart when some of them can't actually identify or maybe articulate their own personal experience of the God who knows them by name and loves them dearly. Other times I get back something that sounds more like a Christian resume. These are the ministries I've served in, these are the causes I volunteer for, these are the neighbors I'm helping, and these are the folks I've led to the Lord. And I think, Whew, wow, that's a lot of giving, but what I don't hear is when are you receiving from the Lord? Where is that back and forth connection? And then there are other times when I am blessed, beyond blessed, to bear witness to the testimony of a child of God who can describe how they encountered Jesus, what it feels like to be his, how he's changed their life. And sometimes the most exciting part of these stories are what God's doing right now in their heart and their life. I wonder today if we could just take a moment to reflect on the current chapter of your God story. Let me ask you, how is your life transforming in noticeable ways that others would take note and see that you are different? How is God changing you? 
and I'm not talking since last Thursday, let's say a year ago, who were you? And now today, who are you? What are the differences that you can thank Jesus for? Can you name the work of God that is underway in your heart right now? If you're unsure or even disappointed that nothing's coming to mind, can I just say, don't be discouraged. Today we're going to talk about four choices Jesus gives us and exactly how we say yes to more of his work in our life. How do we choose the life that leads to change? On the other hand, if thinking about your answers to my questions put a smile on your face and you're about ready to grab somebody next to you and tell them all about your good news, praise Jesus. Thank you, God for your work in their life. But can I suggest that maybe God might ask you to use what I'm about to share to help someone else along the path of following Jesus? I wanna take a quick poll, we'll use this here in a minute. How many of you truly, sincerely, actually believe that you were created for, you were made for relationship with God and others? Right, that's what we're showing up for, that's what this church thing is about. So that's exactly where I wanna start today with that desire for meaningful connection with God and with others. Now there's a phenomenon I'm sure you've noticed. The more you hang out with someone, right, the more you talk like them. And sometimes you start moving like them. And, and then you start thinking like them and even acting like them. Have you ever thought that's also true about God? The more you hang out with him, the more you become like him. Except with God, it's not just incidental. He is purposefully, intentionally transforming us into the likeness of his son, Jesus. It is one of his greatest gifts. The Christianese term for that process is spiritual growth. And now that I've used the term, I gotta make sure there's about four ditches we don't fall in, because that term means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Spiritual growth is not, will never, be about earning or deserving God's love. That's actually what I wish the Christian resume folks knew, is that while becoming like Jesus delights him, it does not make him love you more. His love is truly unconditional. Spiritual growth is also, in part, about what you believe and also about who you are becoming. What I want the folks who default to their doctrinal statement to understand is that the journey to freedom happens as God's spirit leads and we follow. God's truth doesn't change anything until you apply it. I would also want us to be clear that spiritual growth isn't something we do for God. It isn't about earning and striving and trying. It's actually something God does for us. Would you agree that without God's moment-by-moment -moment direction, without his real help, we cannot become like him? That's not something we can pull off alone. And that is as true if you've known Jesus for a year as if you've known him for 50. And while we are absolutely dependent on the Spirit of God and his work in our life for any good things to come to fruition, it is also true that spiritual growth won't just happen to us. If we just hold still, we're just standing still. There's a part we must play. There are things that God leaves up to us things he will not force and will not do for you. But instead, he asks us to choose. So I'd like to take us to John 12. There's a three-verse piece here from 24 to 26 that gives us a word picture. It captures a really poignant moment during the week before Jesus' death, 
where he gives his followers four choices that only we can make. Let's read it together. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will find it for eternity. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. There's four choices packed in here. The first is, how will we answer the question, will you die? Will you die? I have to say, dying to self is one of the central concepts of our faith, but it is also quite difficult to understand. And honestly, it's a little freaky sounding. I wouldn't recommend it for like our slogan, be a Christian, die. What do you mean, right? It takes something to unpack that. I appreciate Paul's explanation in the book of Galatians, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. It's what baptism symbolizes, you guys. Letting go of the old life, our old life's ways and wants and preferences, rights and plans. We let go of all of that. Let the seed of our old life die so that we can be planted and nurtured and come to life and yield a return in God's economy. These are my seed packets. Aren't they pretty? I was given these by my friend, I'm going to say, four years ago. Embarrassing but true. And they found their way into my kitchen drunk, junk drawer, and that's where they've been living quite happily for about the last three years. Uh, last fall, I think I pulled them out and thought, oh, those are really pretty. I wish those were in my yard. So I put them on the fridge, thinking, maybe I'll look at them often enough that I'll actually plant them this spring. Here they are, still seeds. And seeds they will remain, because they have to go into the ground and die, and they aren't going to plant themselves. So do I want seeds, or do I want the flowers? Second choice, will you lose your life to save it? Jesus is very clear here in this passage, as well as its parallel in Mark 8 and several other places, that there is a cost to believing in him. So often we become distracted, busy with lesser things, and so self-focused that we no longer play any role in his kingdom coming. Will we lose our life to save it? And then his next choice or ch question sounds super easy till you unpeel and unpack and look closer. Will you serve me? Oh, yes, Jesus, yes. He actually asked this question about allegiance just after arriving in Jerusalem amid all the hubbub and the praise of Palm Sunday. Wouldn't that be an easy moment if you're the disciples to be like, I'm with that guy, guy on the donkey everybody loves, I'm with him. And yet days later when he was arrested and crucified, those same men didn't serve Jesus. They ran and hid. Same with the crowds. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Five days later, crucify him. And so this choice is tougher than it sounds at first. Will you serve Jesus when it's popular and when it's not? 
Will you serve Jesus in front of those who applaud Christians and in front of those who look down on them? Will you serve me? His next question, will you follow me? Choosing Jesus is always about surrender. Both the surrender when we choose to believe that he is who he says he is, and also the decision we make every day, every day to follow. Our enemy works hard to trick us into believing that what we know of God right now is all there is. There's nothing left to discover, nothing new to experience, and so we become apathetic. And we rest on what we believe and on possibly some religious activities, but in actuality, we've stopped following him anywhere. Will you follow me? So here's the punchline of my whole message. You could get up after this and walk out. You got the whole thing. This is what I showed up today to tell you. The deeper connection with God and others that you seek and the life transformation that you desire and even long for depends on how you answer these four questions. Our answer to will you die, will you serve me, will you follow, Will you lose your life to save it? Determines the amount of relationship and growth that we experience. I picture Jesus' invitation this way. He's a little bit further than me down the path, but he stayed close enough to say, hey, grab my hand. I'm with you. Let's do this together. There is more of your God story yet to be written. Are you ready? Let's go. But what most of us need right there in that moment is a little bit of help giving him our yes and actually finding and determining what is the next step towards the future he has for us. And that's why I'm excited to share with you today the latest version of the CTK Spiritual Health Self-Assessment. I want to make sure that we give credit where credit's due. So that we took a template out of a book called Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro and modified that to create a framework for understanding the spiritual journey towards maturity. Okay, This was born, you guys, out of our desire to see you experience the abundant life Jesus offers. To not settle for anything less than following and serving and the wildly exciting ways we become when we do life with him. So, we created this thing seven years ago. We've recently expanded and revised it based on what we've learned, using it with brand new Christians and lifelong followers and everybody in between. We've found that it gives people tangible ways to say yes to the work of God in their life. It's a way to get traction, if I can say that. It also helps you identify where it is you are and what your next step actually looks like. What comes next has to be clear enough for you to move towards it. And that's what this assessment helps do. The link to this updated self-assessment is at grow.ctk.church. That's where it's going to live permanently, so you can always refer back there if you want to share this with others beyond this weekend. There's also paper copies available in the commons. But this morning, I'm going to show you how this thing works, and I'm going to give you three very tangible steps that you could take to catalyze your spiritual development using this tool. We're going to get practical, folks. All right, first, it has five different sections. And what you need to know about these sections is that they are not linear and they are not sequential. They don't build on one another. In fact, each section impacts the other four. They're very interrelated, okay? The first section is authenticity. 
If you don't know, authenticity is one of our highest values around here. It is something that we will hold each other accountable to. Let me read you our values statement. We choose to be real with God, real with others, and real with ourselves. We will not live false, idealistic, or hidden lives. Here's what I've learned after 25 years of being a CTKer, steeped in authenticity when it's fun and when it's really not. The more I know myself, the more clearly I can see God. And the more clearly I see God, it turns out the more I, clearly I can see myself. It's the very right kind of feedback loop. And really, let's be honest, you and God can't work through things that you are unwilling to see. He won't force. So, how this works is there's about a dozen statements in each section, and you get to decide how true is that statement of you. Let me give you a couple examples from this section. I am honest with myself and a few close others about the feelings, needs, doubts, and hopes that lie beneath the surface of my life. Or how about this one? When I fail, I turn to God for help and forgiveness rather than finding ways to avoid him. Ever been there? I have. Biblical foundation is the next section, and it doesn't test Bible trivia. It actually checks for understanding and application of truth. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we're told very clearly, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is about knowing and applying God's truth. One question from this section says, I know many of the one another commands, and I am trying to live them out in my relationship with others. Back in 2015, we took 1,000, 1,100 maybe CTKers through this self-assessment all at once. We got a big batch of information back, and only 46% of us could answer mostly or very true to this question. Mostly or very true, 46% said, I look to the principles in the Bible for guidance in the way that I conduct my home, work, and social life. Can we just pause and sit on that for a second? Less than half of us go to God's truth to know where to go, what to do. It's hard to follow if you don't know where God's going. But do you know what the question is that keeps me up, honestly? <laughs> keeps me searching for better and new ways to do ministry? I wonder, are we teaching the infants and the toddlers in this church family how to feed themselves? How to actually take in nourishment from God's word? That is essential if we're going to grow. The next section is called devotion. This is the most practical section of all five because each question is about a spiritual practice that helps us, helps our hearts and our minds tune into God. So you know this, right? As life comes at you, however good or stressful it's going, as it's coming at you, you have two options. I'm going to tune in to myself and God and be present, or I'm going to tune out. I'm going to find some ways to distract myself. And if I was really honest with you guys, let's take a little swing at authenticity, shall we? This week of my life, the last seven days, has been an absolute avalanche. I was the pastor on call, and it was humming. We had to evacuate my daughter from New Orleans, where she goes to school, and rearrange what she thought fall semester was going to look like. 
and I was trying to get this message ready, and as easy as Grant and Brian make this look, it actually isn't. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And amidst all of that, I'd be lying if I said I always chose to tune in. Netflix got some real use this week at our house. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> right? And while that's not by itself a bad thing, I do know for a fact it is not the better thing. You know how I know? Because a few times I chose to tune in. I actually chose a spiritual practice that I had been taught at some point to make space for God to come and find me. One day I just jumped in my car, turned on worship music, and started singing like a fool, bopping around East County. I needed to know God was with me, and worship helps me feel that. Another time I caught myself praying while I was blow-drying my hair, and it sounded a whole lot like, God, I can't. I cannot. I cannot. I have 47 feelings pouring out of my heart, and I don't know what to do with any of them. Please come find me. I also took a day and jumped on the trail that runs through our neighborhood and just walked, seeking solitude, hoping to hear the voice of God. Those are my real-life examples of the practices this assessment is looking for in the devotion section. In fact, the very first question is, I love to worship God by myself as well as with others. And we're going to spend the entire month of September practicing the spiritual practice of worship so that you are better equipped to do that when you aren't here in this building, in these chairs. Another item from the devotion section says, I enjoy being alone in quiet reflection with God. Are you where he can get to you? <laughs> the next section is called generosity and stewardship. These two powerful words, which are similar but not the same, combine to give us a pretty good description of the type of sacrificial, others-focused lifestyle that is the biggest tip-off that somebody's been hanging out with Jesus and he's starting to rub off on them. Now, I've got to warn us off here on brownie point thinking. Nothing in this section is something you'll do for God. Everything in this section is something God will choose to do through you if you make yourself available. One of my favorite items in this section says, I believe that my time belongs to God and I look for ways to make it count for his purposes. Don't we all want our lives to count for something bigger than ourselves? Another one says, I consider my life and my belongings as part of God's abundance to be shared and used rather than finding my security in accumulating and owning things. About six weeks ago, I was up here, and I gave you guys a chance to join us in the vineyard, to either let us know what ministry work you were already engaged in, or to raise your hand and say, I'm ready to put my hand to something that counts for the kingdom. And 124 of you responded, and I cannot tell you as a team of pastors how much we have enjoyed those conversations, how clearly we see God's stories unfolding, and how fun it is to see God choose next steps for somebody that fit who they are and light them up and make them that very godly combo of nervous and excited. That's how you know he's on the move. Although, 
If you missed that opportunity, I hope you caught. Drew was telling you that there are over 100 spots we would love to get filled with people who are ready to put their hand to some vineyard work so that our children's ministry and our student ministry and our hospitality ministry are alive and well and vibrantly welcoming anyone who would choose to step into our midst. There is work to be done in this kingdom, you guys. If this is where your self-assessment points to as a growth area, we can help you find a way to start practicing. The last section is called integration, and it means just what it sounds like. Have you integrated all of the types of knowing and growing that you are doing into all areas of your life? Is Jesus hanging out over here as a compartment in your life, or has he taken over the whole thing? Are you doing all of life with him? Are you equally available to God at work, when you parent, as a friend, with your neighbor, in your small group, on Friday night? Let me read you a couple of these questions. When, when Melanie and I pulled this off the shelf a couple of weeks ago to start the rewrite, we were literally stunned. Both of us read these two questions and thought, how terribly relevant is this? Even though they were written seven years ago, what a great question to be asking ourselves and God right now. Number 52 says, I'm available to express my faith, I'm able to express my faith and beliefs with gentleness and respect in a variety of settings like work, social gatherings, and non-religious groups. Next one, others would say, not you would say, others would say that you are slow to speak quick to listen, and good at seeing things from their perspective. Can I lovingly say that church, most of us have quite a bit of growing to do in this area? I know that I do. It is a challenge to be able to do and be those things in a consistent way, but it is the growth he calls us to. So, those are your five areas, okay? In each of those areas, it's going to give you a score, which isn't important, but puts you in a stage. And these are the four stages of development in spiritual life. Sit, crawl, walk, run. I think you get where we're going there. But here's where I'm going to take a quick time out and speak to the competitive folks among us. I know you're out there. You're already like, I'm going to nail this thing. I know all the right answers. Here's what I want you to know. Just like in physical development, you, you actually can't skip steps. There is a natural progression and even a timing to moving through these stages authentically. What you can do is rush God's work and end up pretending you're somewhere you aren't. But there's no life in that. On the other hand, it's probably also worth mentioning that unlike our physical growth, you can, you can and will remain at your current stage of spiritual development indefinitely, unless you choose to take action. So like the physical stages, each spiritual stage has a posture. In sit, it's the posture of dependence on others. In the crawl stage, it's imitation or learning by watching others. In the walk stage, it's ownership. And in the run stage, it's about investing in others. I'm going to use eating as an example, okay? When you're an infant and you're in the sit stage, people feed you. They literally put food in your mouth, reliably. All you gotta do is swallow. That is your job at that age. That's all that's asked of you. And then, 
As you become a toddler and you're now in the crawl stage, you're looking around and adults are using these weird things, I think spoons they're called, right? And you're like, hmm, can I do that? I want to do that. And you start to learn how to feed yourself. And then as you're a kid in the walk stage, you have learned to competently feed yourself, right? And moving into the teen years, you're going to start, hopefully, learning how to prepare your own food, how to do some cooking, so that once you reach the adult stage and you are in the run stage, you accept the responsibility to feed others. That's how it works in the spiritual life as well, you guys. We start being fed and we grow up to be able to feed others. Where would you say you are on that continuum today? Now here's where it's really important to me that we have an honest moment. I've done this survey with a lot of folks, a lot of folks, and it is pretty often the case that they experience some embarrassment or even shame around which stage it turns out that they are in. Can I say, don't be, don't be embarrassed. We never lecture the baby about why they aren't cooking dinner. Would you get in there and do your part? That's not at all what we expect. This actually isn't about wishing you were in a stage you're not, or wondering why you're not in the stage you thought you were. What it is about is accepting your reality and looking for God's direction to move to the next stage. And he is ready and he is willing to have those conversations. The real shame would be if you chose not to take the assessment because you're afraid of what you might find. Can I remind you, nothing about this is going to surprise God, and he's really looking forward to having these conversations with you. So if you remember, I said I'd give you three tangible things you could do to move closer to God. Here they are. Ready? First one should be pretty obvious by this point. Take the self-assessment. This week before it ends up in your kitchen junk drawer and we never see it again. Best of intentions, right? Actually carve out some time. Before you leave today, you could even schedule the time in your calendar. It's going to take all of 15 minutes. That's like a 50% discount from what I asked you to do last time I was here. Remember? Read the book of James. Took you 30 minutes. You only need 15 to go through this pretty prayerfully and thoughtfully. That'd be your first step. And again, you can find it at grow.ctk.church. Uh, there's a paper one, but I got to tell you, the one online does the math for you, and I'm all for avoiding math when you can. So, just a choice. The second thing I would highly recommend that you do is share the results of your self-assessment with another Christian, someone else who is following Jesus, who you trust and who knows you well. It could be your spouse, it could be a friend, it could be someone in your small group, a mentor. Think about who you'd like to give the chance to live out the reality and the promise of Ephesians 4.15 with you, which says, speaking the truth in love, we will become in every respect the mature body of Christ. You guys, we need each other's honest feedback. Before you even take this thing, I can tell you one thing that will not show up on your self-assessment, your blind spots. By definition, you don't know them. That's why we need each other to speak the truth in love. We've also this time around created a conversation guide. So this will actually help you get that conversation going. It has a, just a handful of questions about each section of the assessment that will help you dig deeper and really start to surface where you are in that regard. You can also find those at grow.ctk.church and in the commons.
So you take the self-assessment, you share your results with someone who knows you and loves you enough to speak truth, and then you ask God what step he is inviting you to take with him this season. So I've done this a good handful of times with folks in my office, and as they're sitting on my couch, usually it goes one of two ways. One way, they come in, we talk through what they've learned, what they're seeing, and really one section seems to surface that God's kind of putting his finger on and pointing to, this is where, this is where your next steps are. And so we do, we figure out a way for them to move forward in devotion or biblical foundation or one of the other areas. If that ends up being the case for you, I've put a next step for each section in your sermon notes. It's just an idea to get you started. But again, don't skip the step of praying and asking God. He would know exactly where he's trying to take you. The other scenario that's pretty common is that they'll come in and before I can even start my spiel to guide them through, they're like, number 16, ow. Oh, okay, tell me about number 16, or whatever it is. And there is an item or two that has hit too close to home, that they are really feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit around, and they know that's where their next step lies. Okay? So, honest moment, that's what happened to me. I helped write this thing. I've read this thing a lot of times. I was working on rewriting this thing and didn't really ask God to give me a next step, and nonetheless, he did. I got to number 54, and here's what it said. When someone I care about is hurting, I seek God's wisdom about what is his part and what is theirs. I seek to understand how God is asking me to help so that I don't get in his way or miss a chance to be part of his plans for them. Oh, yeah, that, that's a struggle. Uh, my honest assessment there is, is not at the top end of the scale. And then I get to the next one. Those close to me would say, not I would say, those close to me would say that I am good at balancing family, rest, work, and play. And I heard God whisper, you ready? Come with me. This is our work for this season. So some of you may know that I was given the incredible gift of taking a sabbatical this spring. There were three months given to me where I could lay down literally all of my responsibilities. I could step out of every role that I play in my normal day-to-day -day life. And my husband Chris and I headed to Montana to just spend time with Jesus and each other. This is my shirt from Montana. It says it all, in a good place. We spent a lot of time in nature praising the Creator. We spent a lot of time with each other, and we came back in June rested. We came back full of reflections and new understanding about things. We even had a plan, man. We had a strategy for how I was going to pace myself in ministry and create margins in my life and protect them at all costs. And then I got steamrolled by my life. I jumped right back into the hamster wheel and I sprinted, I dead out sprinted for like a month before I hit the wall hard. And I came up asking this question, why can't I say no? Why, why can't I just make this work? So I did what I know to do. I asked God, and I asked him again, and we talked some more, and I journaled a bunch, and I went and saw my counselor, and I asked those who love me most and know me best, why can't I say no? Why am I stuck here? 
And in a nutshell, here's what surfaced. There are things about my childhood and even about my personality that have made me fiercely independent and ridiculously self-sufficient in ways that do not honor God. That's the truth of it. And you guys, I thought that God and I had already worked through this. You see, I was a single mom for eight years, and God and I practiced a lot getting Wendy better at asking for help and graciously receiving help. I thought we'd done this work, but this went quite a bit deeper. This summer, I had to come face to face with the fact that I am terrified to admit that I have limitations, that I cannot, cannot do it all, cannot be it all, cannot know it all, cannot take care of me and everybody else. My mind knows that. I can even quote you some good scriptures about it. But something deep inside me still believes to some degree that I'm in it alone, that it's all up to me. So God is using this post-sabbatical season in my life to surface that for the lie that it is. And he is sending people to me to help me experience the truth that it is not all up to me. I am part of a family. I am part of a church family. I am part of a team that loves me and that I love. So here are my next steps out of the self-assessment I didn't actually mean to take. I am starting to accept my limitations, stare them right in the face and let them be true. I'm learning to share those limitations with God and with others, and I am learning and practicing when and how to say no. And I gotta be honest with you guys, I didn't set out to grow up in this way, and I'm not terribly enjoying it. It is really hard work. It pushes me way out of my comfort zone. It goes against my grain. It requires a lot of humility. But here's what else I can tell you. I am certain that this is the greater freedom God is trying to lead me into. And I do get to choose. Bail and stay this way, stuck and sprinting, or I can choose to do what he's asking of me, and I will grow up and out of this, and I won't be struggling in this way someday. Hopefully someday soon. And to me, the choice is clear. The freedom is worth the work. I will follow. I will do what he asks of me so that I can experience the better version of life that he's trying to give me. So those are my next steps. As we move into a time of reflection and worship, can I invite you to listen for the whisper of the Holy Spirit? He knows exactly the invitation he's trying to make to every single one of you. Maybe just sit and listen and think about what might, what kind of opportunity might this self-assessment present in your life right now in fall 2021. Can I pray for us? Jesus. Gentle Jesus. You are full of grace and truth and we need both. For my brothers and sisters, I ask for courage, Lord. Courage to know and to see what's real. The courage to embrace the humble steps it will take to grow. I also ask, Lord, that you would help them understand the difference between what they're asked, being asked to let die, to let go of, and what you're asking them to take hold of. 
God, we trust you in this. We know that your plans for us are good and that you know exactly where we are and what we can do next to be closer to you. Thank you for your patience, Lord. Thank you that you want nothing more than exactly that to be closer to us. Give us the courage to choose that, Jesus. It's in your mighty, matchless, wonderful, merciful name that we pray. Amen.